Amen. Um, the world needs us to be Jesus' people, uh, working that kind of unity and peace with one another and toward the outside world. Um, greetings, friends at home on live stream. If you hear some clapping and some uh, double claps like that, that means people here in person are saying amen. Um, over the last three weeks, we have spent some time in the short little book of Philemon, which is toward the end of the New Testament. And even though it's one of the shortest books in the entire Bible, it packs an incredible uh, spiritual punch that has echoed down through the corridors of history, and we get to explore that today. So when we heard um, Pastor Bert earlier, uh, he was reading some of the, the words of the book of Philemon, and in that book, uh, the Apostle Paul, who Pastor Bert was portraying, makes a very big ask or request of this man named Philemon. Paul was trying to create common ground between two guys who potentially had a lot at odds or against one another, and Paul is encouraging them that they need to find a way to embrace each other so that they can walk forward and cross the finish line of faith together. All of these years later, if we're divided from one, each, one another, um, the same common ground that Paul described in this book still exists for us today. This is the best common ground. It is at the foot of the cross where all of us come as imperfect, broken, um, with thoughts that are a little bit off people, and we all share our imperfection and sinfulness on that common ground at the foot of the cross. And there is also common ground at the threshold of the empty grave where we are healed, where we have life breathed back into us, where we have the possibility of being made whole starting now and into forever. Paul made this huge ask of Philemon. He asked him to welcome back the very person who had robbed him and wronged him and now treat him and embrace him as a brother. So I'm going to read the closing six verses from this little book of Philemon. Um, so we'll read them all together, or I'll, I'll read them out for us, and then we're going to do a verse-by-verse -verse breakdown today and listen to what God has for us from there. This is God's Word. I, Paul, am writing this letter with my own hand, and I will pay it back, Philemon, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, so refresh my heart in Christ, and confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, also sends you greetings, as do Mark Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here at the close of the letter, Paul uh, kind of shows his flair and his influence as a letter writer. So it was common in the ancient world 2,000 years ago to write a letter this way. People didn't have regular paper. They wrote on more valuable parchment, or if you were really rich, on a very thin piece of letter or a piece of leather, um, and it was common for the letter writer to speak or dictate the letter, and then at the very end to maybe scribble out a final line of greeting or their name in their own handwriting. And Paul, in fact, does that here. In verse 19, Paul says, 
I, Paul, am now writing this to you in my own hand. Now, something happens, I think, in our mind and spirit when somebody does that, even if there's a typewritten letter, and then at the very end, someone were to shift and write the last paragraph in their own handwriting. It's like you feel a closer connection, and you can sense that person's spirit and personality coming through in their handwriting. And Paul very much wants Philemon to feel that Paul cares about him and that he is very near in writing this. The first line after Paul says, like, hey, I'm writing this in my own handwriting, is this. Paul has said, if Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, because of what he stole from you, I will pay it back. And then he reminds Philemon of the great debt that Philemon owes to him, Paul the letter writer. Philemon, you owe me your very self. Paul is not talking about money here. He's not talking about economics here. He's talking about Philemon's faith his relationship to Christ, his eternity, because Philemon got to know Jesus through his relationship with Paul. Lest Paul seem like he's cracking down too hard on his buddy Philemon, or that he's just trying to guilt him into doing the right thing, Paul then makes a joke. First, he calls Philemon his brother in verse 20, and then he says this. Paul asks that Philemon will be of some benefit, or really the Greek word is usefulness to Paul by doing the right thing. If you were here for previous weeks, Onesimus, the runaway slave, his, his name literally in Greek means useful. So in our English translations, when Paul says, hey Philemon, I trust that you will be of some benefit to me, really he is saying, hey Philemon, I hope that you will give me a little bit of Onesimusness, like toward me. It's not so funny in English, but in Greek, it's meant to like kind of lower Philemon's guard and understand like, okay, Paul is telling me what to do, but he loves me as a brother, and it's not beyond him to joke around a little bit. Paul then goes to one more uh, kind of reason for Philemon to do the right thing, and that is to say that he believes in him. In verse 21, Paul says, I'm confident of your obedience, Philemon, so I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So this is really like psychology or parenting 101. Like we have a few young kids in our congregation today, and hopefully kids, your parents don't get you to do chores around the house or to do your homework by, say, by just saying like, you realize you owe me your very life, right? I brought you into the world, and if you don't do this, I can take you out of the world. Like, Paul could say that, but that's bad psychology. That's bad parenting 101. If I think back to when my own kids were little, I was probably a little overaggressive as a young parent. Really wanted to have them learn how to ride a bike when they were still little. I think, you know, when they were three years old, kind of pulled the training wheels off. Uh, my son Will, if you're watching, I apologize because we had like a gravel rock driveway. So there, there were a couple bad spills when your dad tries to get you to ride a bike and the ground is uneven. Um, but I remember, like, after taking the training wheels off, like, just holding the back seat of their bike and running behind them and telling them, like, you can do it! You can do it! I'm going to let go in just a second. After 10 seconds, I had already let go, right? Just to give them confidence 
right? And that's what Paul is doing here. Philemon, I know this is going to be a hard spiritual thing to stretch your forgiveness and grace and heart and hospitality and welcome Onesimus back, but I believe in you. You can do it. In verse 22, Paul again expresses the nearness and the closeness of his presence. He tells, uh, he tells Philemon to prepare a guest room for him as if he might be coming over tomorrow. Now, this should be kind of surprising because Paul is writing this from a prison. He doesn't know when he's going to get out. He has no idea when he's going to be over at Philemon's house, which is literally across part of the Mediterranean Sea and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. But Paul is, again, inserting his presence into Philemon's life and saying, like, imagine that someday I'm going to be at your house again, my friend Philemon. And how is it going to be? Is this relationship with Onesimus going to be broken? Or are you going to do the right thing so that when I'm back at your house, we can have this amazing time all together? And then Paul lets Philemon know that this is not just a private matter between them, but that other people who care and pray for them are also going to know about the situation. So Paul sends greetings from Epaphras, who is actually Philemon's pastor, the guy who started the church in Philemon's town, and then from these two guys who end up having books of the Bible named after them, Luke and Mark. So Paul is introducing the presence of these others. We call this accountability sometimes, that like, hey, Philemon, like, we all know about this. Let's do the right thing so that we can totally enjoy and celebrate the good things that God might do in your life and relationships. Does it seem to you that Paul... Uh, might be too big for his own britches or kind of like too smart for his own good. Some people accuse the Apostle Paul of this in this book. It's like he resorts to all these tactics to try to talk Philemon into doing the right thing. I mean, just in these few verses, there's five different things that the Apostle Paul is doing to encourage his friend. Personally, I think Paul is full of the Spirit of God. He's not just a guy trying to turn or bend or manipulate a friend, right? He is full of the Holy Spirit. And I think in these words, his genuine heart and his genuine concern for this relationship to be mended is coming through loud and clear. Paul is very persuasive. The other thing I think it's good for us to remember that in writing this letter, if it seems like Paul is coming down heavy or being really persuasive, he is actually in prison. He is in a posture of utter powerlessness. He has no force. He has no economic might. He has none of the normal human modes of persuasion. He has only goodwill, relationship, spiritual history, and trust with Philemon to ask him to do the right thing. By the way, hopefully that's the way a church operates even today that we're not trying to manipulate or force or talk people into or persuade in just ordinary human ways, but that we use trust and goodwill and strong spiritual history as the foundation for the decisions that we make and the path forward that we chart even in a time like this. So there is one final phrase in this short letter to Philemon, and I think it's the best phrase of all. It's a very common way for Paul to end his letters, but it contains this short and potent word, grace. Paul says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. Now, both Philemon and Onesimus had received the grace of Jesus through Paul's ministry. Both of them understood that God became a human being, that Jesus went to a sacrificial death on the cross, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day because Paul was the witness that told them. That is how they came into the family of faith. And now Paul is asking each of these spiritual sons of his to give an extraordinary grace to one another. He's asking Onesimus to go back hundreds of miles to the very household in which he was a servant and a slave. And he's asking Philemon to receive a runaway slave and a robber as now a brother in Christ. That is a lot of grace. But for the gospel to be real, grace has to be a two-way street. Of course, we receive it from God. That's how we come alive. And then we give it out to other people. Faith in Jesus turns to ashes in our heart unless we give the grace of Christ away as well. Remember in the Old Testament how people could gather manna, but then if they kept it in their cupboard for too long, it would just turn moldy and rotten? Like That is a parable for how the grace of Jesus Christ works in our life. If we think it's just believing the right thing and then we can put it on a shelf somewhere, it literally turns into mold and ashes in our life unless we enjoy it and share it and give it away. There are so many ways that we can share grace. We can share it through sharing our time. We can share it by breaking leaves, by packing prison boxes. We can do it by sharing a talent. It's what our musicians are doing today. It's what those of you who are live uh, here in our congregation are doing for those who are watching over live stream. We can do it through sharing a meal, through sharing our tithes, sharing our offering, sharing a ride in a car, sharing a sandwich. There are a million ways for us to pass on the grace that we have received. So the same challenge that existed for Philemon and Onesimus still exists for us right here and right now. It's one thing to benefit from the usefulness of Jesus' grace. It's another thing to pass it on through the daily injuries and unfortunate things that we all endure. The hardest people, quite frankly, to pass on grace to for most of us are our family members. The people that we grew up in the same house and we know everything about, maybe our siblings or our parents or our brother and sister, we know all their tricks, we know all their acts, and yet God asks us to be in the front of the line to share grace with them. And the people that we're currently living with, our parents, our spouses, our neighbors right next door that we see all the time, coworkers who maybe do the same thing day after day after day that bugs us just a little bit. These are the very people that God is asking us to extend extraordinary grace to. What does it communicate to the world if we say, I'm a Christian, I've experienced the grace of Christ, but Monday through Saturday, I just kind of do what I want. 
this is the last best word that we have as Christians, the word grace. It's a word that the newspaper, the internet, news sites, they have not co-opted or discovered this word yet. God desires for the same grace that was supposed to fill Onesimus and Philemon, that it still fills us. So there's a few um, loose ends at the end of this book. Is anybody wondering what happened to Onesimus? Did he really go back? Did Philemon really welcome him into his house? Here's one intriguing thing from Christian history, early Christian history. About the year 105 AD, a person called St. Ignatius refers to the bishop of the city of Ephesus, whose name in 105 AD was Onesimus. And that Onesimus, this bishop, extended extraordinary hospitality toward Ignatius. Now, the word bishop in the year 2020 kind of means someone who has authority and power and is ranking pretty high on the hierarchy. In the year 100 AD, none of these things were true. In the year 180, Christianity was totally a minority movement. It was a tiny little cog in the vast machinery of the Roman Empire. To be a Christian bishop in 100 AD only meant that people looked up to you as a mature and trusted spiritual person. And in 100 AD, kind of 40 years, 45 years after the book of Philemon was written, a man named Onesimus was the lead elder nearby to where Philemon's church was 40 years ago, 40 years earlier. Could it be that that's the same Onesimus? Amen, all right? We don't know for sure. Those details are lost in history, but there were not a million Onesimuses running around, and wouldn't it be just like God if over a four-decade period he took someone who was a robber, a liar, a thief, estranged from the household that he was living and reconciled that relationship and then not only turned this person into a believer but into someone who was so deep in the knowledge of God that they became a teacher, an elder, and a bishop in the church all because of their experience of welcome and embrace and forgiveness. That would be just like God. Amen to that. So if you're just getting started on your Christian walk, um, God's going to do great things for you, maybe today, maybe this week, for sure in the next year. But the best way to see God's impact is over a decades-long period. Some of our senior saints are here today. The most beautiful people I know, quite frankly, are older Christians because they have been marinating in the grace and the gospel of Jesus for so long that they truly are uh, changed and bishop-like people. Here's a tougher question. Philemon owned slaves. He was an early Christian person. Why did Paul not tell Philemon and every other early Christian person that slavery was just wrong? And to, in the very pages of this Bible, to end the institution of slavery. I will say this. As an American person, as someone who loves our country, the institution of slavery is the single greatest blot and sin in our national history. 
Like, that is not even a question in my mind. It is the worst part of our history. And in contrast to the kind of slavery that happened in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, our national slavery existed on racial terms. Not on purely economic terms, but on racial terms. And praise the Lord, we exist in an age where slavery has been against the law of our land for more than 150 years. We still have a ways to go, but thank God for that. It has been said about this little book of Philemon that no document in the history of the world has so altered humanity's attitude toward the institution of slavery as this little one-page letter. So while our modern expectations might be like, Paul, why don't you just call all slavery wrong? Remember, Christians had no authority at this point. Like Paul was writing this letter to one other Christian in the vast sea of imperial Rome where there literally were hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of slaves. Paul was not in a position to change the institutions of the Roman Empire. What Paul did was to sow the seeds in this particular situation, in this particular relationship to let two brothers in Christ know that there is a much better way for humans to exist than in a master and slave relationship, than in an economic relationship, than in a servant and boss kind of relationship. What is the better way according to this book? It's a family way. Brothers and sisters looking eye to eye alongside of one another because the ground at the foot of the cross and at the threshold of the empty grave really is level. Amen, anybody. Right? This doesn't mean we're all going to have the same gifts. It doesn't mean that we all have the same talents. It doesn't mean we're all going to make the same amount of money. But it does mean that in what matters the most, God sees us all as his sons and daughters and children, and we can look each other 100% eye to eye. That is the perspective of the book of Philemon. We human beings are so dull of heart and hard of mind, it took 1,800 years for the truth of this message to leak down into the governments and institutions of human society. Would it have been lovely, more transformative, better for humanity if that message had gotten through to all of our governments and institutions sooner? Yes, absolutely. But thank God that the message finally did come about through this book, through the gospel, through the fact that we are all made in the image of God and the level ground of the cross of Christ, that slavery in each and every situation is the wrong way to go. Early Christians did not seize the levers of power and pull them. Early Christians saw one another as salt and light and leaven that God intended to slowly work its way through culture and society and government. Even to this day, that is the way the gospel works best. When folks who want to reform, or in our case, to transform America by seizing the levers of political power, we should be dubious and not, not trust that they are going to do the right thing for everybody. On the other hand, if you ever run into somebody who is reluctant 
about the job responsibilities, about the leadership responsibilities, about the political office that somehow has fallen on their shoulders, that they wonder how they even got to that point in the world. Like, that is a person you can proudly trust when their position of the world has come through surprise rather than aspiration and manipulating the levers of power to get there. By asking Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother, in the exact same way that Paul asked Philemon to receive himself as a brother, he shatters the slave and master relationship and replaces it with family. Not only are Onesimus and Philemon now brothers in Christ, they're also the spiritual sons of Paul. The book of Philemon shows this man Onesimus going from slave to runaway slave to returning slave to forgiven son and brother in Christ. That is quite a transformation. Final question. Why is this little book in the Bible? Right? There's lots of huge long books. There's lots of books that, I mean, four gospels that describe the life and times of Jesus. Most of Paul's letters dive into a whole bunch of issues and describe the death and resurrection of Christ. That's nowhere in Philemon. Why is this little book in the Bible? In conclusion, two reasons. I do believe God put this one-page letter in the Bible ultimately to bring about the demise of slavery on planet Earth. And praise God, little by little, that has indeed been the case. Number two, I think this book is in the Bible, even though we don't know that Philemon did the right thing. Well, let me put it this way. If Philemon said no, crossed his arms, and rejected Onesimus when he came back, do you think we would still have this letter today? Would people have passed it on? Like, would it be in the Bible as a cautionary tale? Super low percentage chance of that. I think the reason that this little book is in the Bible is because it offers us a blueprint, because all of us experience brokenness and relational distance. And this book in the Bible shows us the way forward. It's not by getting our way. It's not by clinging to what we deserve. It's not by complaining about the old life that we used to leave, live. It's about looking someone else in the eye and seeing them as brother, as sister, on common ground at the foot of the cross of Christ. Amen. Let's pray together a moment. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the surprising little book that so many of us have paid scant attention to through the years. God, we know that brokenness, that slavery has broken your heart through scores of years of human history. God, we are thankful that someone was spiritually mature enough to embrace um, a former servant now as a brother in Christ. God, for the brokenness in our own lives, we pray that you will help us um, have the grace to do the very same thing, to find words that are full of truth and full of grace that are part of the mending process. And God, lest we think that it's totally up to us to do this, 
We thank you that uh, the evidence of the empty cross, the evidence of the empty grave is there to empower us each and every day. We lean into that for Jesus' sake. Amen.